Okay. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Big Book, Scottsdale's Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is the Saturday, the 17th of September, 2022. My name is Audrey, and I'm a com recovered compulsive overeater from County Mead in Ireland. And I will be your host for today's study. All the co-hosts will be Marie F and Cece. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan C, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answer sessions, which follows, will not be recorded. We will post the link to previous week's recording in the chat <clears> function. <throat> we ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from the screen at any time. We have disabled the chat box and we will open this a few minutes before um, the end of the meeting and Cece will take questions and um, for Harlan. So with that, I hand it over to you, Harlan. Thanks. Thank you very much, Audrey. I really appreciate that. And I wanna thank all of you who make this possible. It is far from just me sitting here talking. If there was no Zoom room, if there was no uh, way of paying for the Zoom room, if there was no website, if there was no uh, recordings and posting of the recordings and so on and so forth, and just a whole lot of stuff that I am not at all involved in, this would not be possible. And I'm so glad to be here this morning. And I hope, it, I say this a lot, but today is something, uh, it's only 88 degrees here in Scottsdale. Just a week ago, it was 190, something like that. So it's really starting to cool down and it's just gorgeous here. And we say to each other in Arizona, this is why we live here. I hope it's as stunning where you are as it is here. I hope that for you. Um, we have been talking in, the, we have been talking about the chapter, We Agnostics. And one of the things that's very important is notice that the title is not you agnostics or to the agnostic or for the agnostics. It's we agnostics because what Bill knew and what God knew is that no matter who you are as a human being, there is going to be a level of skepticism that is going to, is going to seep into your psyche. One of the things that we do as human beings is we catastrophize. And one of the things we do, why we do that, not one of the things, we, one, one of the reasons we do that is so we can at least say, see, I told you so, it was gonna be terrible, it was gonna be horrible, and, and the sky is falling. You know, That's one of the things we do as human beings. And the ego has three jobs, as we've talked about here many times. One of the jobs that the ego has is make me feel different from everybody else. The other job is make me feel good right now. And that's the reason we shoved food in our mouth, even though we knew that it was injurious because the ego says you can feel good right now and screw everything and everybody else. They're not going to tell you what to do. We're just going to feel good right now. And what is the other job? Make me right, make me feel different, make me feel good. So at least if we lose the ball game, I told you we were going to lose. So at least I can salvage that I was right in this situation. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's the way most of our minds work is maybe we're going to lose the game. Maybe we're not going to recover. Maybe we're going to have disaster in our life, but at least I can be right. And even though you may be laughing, it's really, it's really something that has been going on with us all of our lives. And so agnostic does not mean atheist. Agnostic does not mean believer. Ag means without, gnostic means knowledge, without knowledge. So the most fervent believer in God, the most religious person or the atheist we have pockets of agnosticism or pockets of doubt. Let's just call it something that's an easier word, pockets of doubt. Doubt about what? 
well, I know that God created the five Great Lakes. I know that God created the state of Illinois and the Chicago River. And I know that God created all these various things like the heavenly bodies. And he created babies and puppies and kitties and all this other stuff. But is that God that created all these things big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, and concerned enough to come into my life and help me to live a day without eating food that I know is killing me? And that's a question that many of us have pondered. And the answer for me is yes, when I want him enough. And how do I demonstrate that I want him enough? or her enough, or it enough, or them enough. It doesn't have to be a him. It could be a her. It could be a it. It could be a them. It could be a those. It could be a whatever, whatever it is you want it to be. So if I use the male pronoun, I want to right here and right now say, it doesn't have to be a male. It doesn't have to be a female. It can be that which does not have gender, or that which surpasses or transcends beyond gender, whatever it is you want it to be, as long as it's a power greater than yourself. That's the only thing that's required is a power greater than yourself. So this agnosticism or being without knowledge is something that has haunted me throughout my whole life. Now you may say, but you've been in recovery for 23 years. That doesn't mean that my belief in God is the same as it was a year ago or a month ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. For me, the belief in God and my interaction with God and my relationship with God is no different really than my relationship with another human being in this respect. My relationship with another human being requires maintenance. If I suddenly don't call you, I suddenly don't respond to your correspondence. You're texting me or you're emailing me or you're whatever it is you're doing, you're calling me, whatever that may be for you, and I'm not responding. Eventually, social protocol says you stop reaching out to me that the relationship is either on pause or it's over or something. Depends where you are, you know, maybe another attempt will be here and there, maybe not, it just depends. My relationship with God is identical to that. Now I'm talking again about me and my relationship with God. I am not suggesting that this is what is, uh, what is in line for you. I don't know what is proper for you. I only know what I have gone through, what I have experienced. So I work on my relationship with God every single day, because the step that we're talking about here is step two. And in step two, it says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Came to believe means to me that it is a journey rather than a destination. A journey, meaning I have to travel that journey every day. I never have to go to third grade ever again. Despite my horrible math skills, I got through third grade and never again in my entire life am I going to have to repeat third grade. You cannot take away third grade from me. You cannot flunk me in third grade. I passed. I had Miss Summerhill. I begged her. I was, what was I in third grade? I was 10. No, I was nine, maybe. If you're, in, if you're five in kindergarten, six in first, seven in second. I was eight years old. I said, wait for me and I'll marry you. And then she came back from spring from spring uh, cleaning, spring break, married. And I was very, very devastated. I just want you to know that. I begged her to wait for me and she wouldn't do it. I said, yes, I will marry you, but she would not, she would not marry me. I was only what, seven, but she didn't even give me a chance, darn it. 
But anyway, I had Miss Summerhill for third grade and she passed me. But my relationship with God is not like my relationship with third grade. It has to be cultivated. It has to be deepened. And it has to be worked at all the time. Before we do a thing, and we're going to be starting on page 50 in our personal stories. Page 50 in our personal stories. But why don't you, before we do that, let's go back to page 14 because I want to remind myself and you that God in his infinite wisdom put in this book the absolute formula to work on my relationship with God. And it's at the bottom of the page 14. It says, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all of my affairs. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. A lot of times you'll hear people say, the principle of this step is hope and the principle of this one is honesty. That's all stuff that came out decades after the book was written. That's stuff that's a product more of the 80s, the 90s. That stuff was not in the book, not in the fellowship until about the 80s or the 90s even. And it is it came out decades after Bill and Bob were long gone. But when he's talking about the principles, he's talking about the steps in all my affairs, particularly was an imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. So what is imperative is to work with other people. Now, how does my relationship with God improve what, by working with other people? Well, first of all, it gets me out of myself, which brings me closer to God. Second of all, it gets me closer to another human being, which gets me further away from the food and closer to God. And the last thing it does is it gets me closer to God because through working with other people and doing fifth steps and doing 10 steps and seeing ninth steps, I begin to see that I'm not as different from other people as I may have thought because my entire life has been spent in terminal uniqueness, that these ideas that I had about life, these fears that I had about life, these angers that I had in life were distinct and secret and unique unto me. And what I found out is, no, they are not. They are not secret. They are not unique unto me. I am just another bozo on the bus. And that realization that I'm just another bozo on the bus is one of the most emancipating realizations, one of the most emancipating epiphanies that I've ever had. And I call five and nine the great emancipators. Five is an emancipator because it puts me in touch with my humanity. Nine is an emancipator because it emancipates me from guilt and shame and remorse and fear and doubt and anger. It Five and nine to me are the great emancipators. And we're going to be talking a lot about that. When we get to steps five and we get to steps nine, we're going to be talking about them as great emancipators. Let's go back to page 14 here for just a minute. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, now it tells me I have to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life. Then in typical big book fashion, it tells me how through work and self-sacrifice for others he could not survive the certain trials, not the maybe trials, not the well, if, no, the certain trials and low spots ahead. And what does Clancy Immeslin teach us all the time? Clancy Immeslin teaches us that no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being and as a human being, I am going to have trials and low spots ahead of me. 
If he did not work, he would surely drink again. If he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Now let's go back to page 50. Now, before we begin on page 50, I just want to keep reminding you of something that is very, very true for me. I don't know if it's true for you. I know it's true for me. I could sit in the synagogue and there's one right at the end of my block, big synagogue, right at the end of my block. And there are maybe 150, 200 people sitting in there right now because it's the Sabbath for Jews and they're in there praying. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying. I pray to God every day. I use prayer as part of my everyday life. And I suggest it strongly. I pray to God all the time. You know, I, I, I pray without ceasing. I really, really do. But if all I did was pray, and this is just for me, until the walls of that synagogue fell in, I don't believe, based on my experience, that that would bring me much closer to God. When I get closer to God, it's because I take action after action. And usually, usually it's action that I do not really want to take. If you think honestly that I want to take most of the phone calls I take on a daily basis, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I do not. I would much rather sit here on the computer and play solitaire or sit here on the computer and watch Netflix or sit here and watch whatever, because there's a lot of stuff I can watch right on the computer or go in the other room and watch sports or something. You're, I would much rather do that. But when that phone rings and I answer that phone for the three minutes or the four minutes that I'm on the phone with that other person, it is like a refreshment for my soul because for those three or four minutes, I am not sitting here thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. And the, the idea that I could take a couple of minutes and unselfishly think about another person brings me further away from Chips Ahoy cookies and closer to my creator. And isn't that the idea from the very beginning? Because the thesis line of the big book on page 45 of the big book says, and I'm quoting, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And this is specifically one of the avenues that I use to get to that higher power is through work and self-sacrifice for others, not in a sick way, but in a healthy way. What is the difference between sick service and healthy service? It boils down to one word, and that word is results. If I have an expectation that I'm going to do something for Joe, I'm going to do a service for Joe. I'm going to take Joe to the airport. I'm going to take Joe to the butcher shop, whatever that may be. And then in exchange for that, damn it, Joe is going to stop doing this, this, or that. Or Joe is going to convince Fred to do something that I want done. That's not service. That's manipulation. And there is a vast difference between service and manipulation. If I am going to give Joe a, a ride to the airport, then I must take Joe, drop him off at the airport, and expect absolutely nothing from him in the way of anything. Once I start attaching a result or an expectation to that service, now I am not doing service. What I'm doing is I am manipulating. And manipulation has no real place in a healthy, recovered program. It just doesn't. So we may take Joe to the airport, and there could be a difference between healthy, ex healthy service and sick service. And it boils down to that one word, and the word is result, or if you will, expectation. That is the difference. Okay, now let's go to page 50. And on page 50, we see in our personal stories. But before I even read one word of that, 
I want to give you a little background on these personal stories. I've said before that there are four books that, that frame the big book. The four books that were most influential in the writing of the big book. And somebody, two people texted me, not somebody, two people texted me when I mentioned this. And they said that I was talking about something that is not conference approved, so I shouldn't do it. If somebody could close Liz's camera, that would be awesome. If somebody could shut her camera down, that would be awesome. Okay, now we have, we, I am telling you this for historical context. I have every right to tell you this. It is not a violation of any tradition. And there is not a history book on the history of AA that will not bear me out. I've read them all. The four books that frame the big book are the book of James in the New Testament. The book of James in the New Testament. The next one is the varieties of religious experience by William James. The next one is the Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. And the last one is the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody, okay? Those are the four books that helped frame the big book, okay? There's nothing wrong with mentioning that. Don't text me, don't call me. I'm not violating any tradition here at all whatsoever. Bill Wilson, Ebby, Bob, Hank Parkhurst, they all read those books and the, that was what they influenced and the Oxford group, which is in a book, it's a, it's an, it was an organization. Okay, fine. Now, let's keep in touch with that one I mentioned by William James called the varieties of religious experience. And let's sort of focus on that one for just a minute here. The varieties of religious experience is a book by William James, who is considered by many the father of modern psychology. And William James in 1900, 1901, he attended a series of lectures by these people, psychologists, in Edinburgh, Scotland, at the University of Edinburgh. And he observed that these stories centered around what was a person like, see if this sounds familiar, what was a person like, what happened to that person, and what are they like now? And in his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, he recounts the stories of many, many, many people who found God, and they found God more often through catastrophe, through things going wrong in their life than through any other reason, any other reason. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does because there's 141 of us here and I'm gonna go on a limb here. I don't have intimate knowledge of each and every one of your stories, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm gonna say, I bet there's not one of you that woke up in the morning and said, wow, my life is fantastic. I have more money than I know what to do with. Uh, I'm happily in, in married. My business is fantastic. I think I'll go and join Overeaters Anonymous. I bet that's not where any of you are or any of you were the day you marched into your first OA meeting, you came in here probably with your tail between your legs and you came in here because things were just not going very well for you. And that's usually, usually how people find God is through this catastrophe in their life or this situation that is not really to their liking. So what we're going to do is we're going to use this idea and it comes into the big book. Now, what is the big book in the back of the, 
in the back of the big book, there's 42 stories. And what are the stories about? What was the person like? What happened to that person? Usually, I'm going to go out on a limb here, alcoholism. Now, call me crazy, but on all 42 stories, the thing that happened in their life started with alcoholism. Call me crazy, but that's what, and, and again, what happened? What what was the person like? What happened? And what are they like now? And normally it's because they discovered a way of life that was far better than drinking alcohol to excess. And they worked the steps and they achieved a modicum of neutrality around alcohol. Please do not text me or, or call me that I'm using an unapproved book or, an, or I'm violating the traditions. I guarantee you I am not. I am just telling you the history of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Without William James, there is no book. Okay, there, there is no book. Okay, page 50. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power. Notice that power is capitalized, which is greater than himself. So once again, we are reminded here, like it says on page 12, it says on page 12, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And this is a place where a lot of people struggle. They have a hard time pulling away from a concept of God that has never worked for them, will never work for them, and is holding them back. And yet they find it's very difficult to sort of pull themselves away from a concept of God that just doesn't get them in the direction that they want to go. And I would strongly suggest talk to your sponsors, talk to your God squad, talk to people. If your conception of God, if your perception of God is just not working for you, don't be afraid to change it. I'm not telling you to change religions. I'm not telling you to change your affiliation. I'm not saying that, but it's you have the right to perceive any kind of identity for that higher power that works for you. Let's discard what doesn't work and adapt and adopt and embrace what does work. The power which is greater than himself that I choose to call God, you can call it group of drunks. You can call it great outdoors. You can, call, if you're dyslexic, call it dog. You can call it anything you want to call it. It's perfectly okay. The bottom line is, is it a power greater than yourself? Clancy Emerson loved to tell a story and he came into recovery in Los Angeles in 1959, he got sober and he had a sponsor and he likes to tell this story. This is before Chuck C became his sponsor and his sponsor and him are arguing back and forth about who God is and what God is. And Clancy's sitting there and the guy looks at him and he says, do you think I'm doing better than you? And Clancy says, yeah, I think you are doing and better than me. And he goes, I'm your new higher power, kid. Get started on the steps. And Clancy's introduction to the steps was just believing that this sober sponsor, this sober guy is doing better than him. And that's where it started. But I wouldn't recommend necessarily having a human sponsor because a human is not a greater power than you. But you see where we're going with this. The idea is there, that, the, that this is the idea. The idea is willingness to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. That's all that's required, boys and girls. Nothing more is required. Whether we agree with a particular approach <clears throat> or conception seems to make little difference. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. That, that's a great sentence because what it again reminds me of, I don't have to believe as you believe. I don't have to believe as anyone believes. I really, really don't. And what Grandpa Griffith, now Grandpa Griffith was 
Bill Wilson's maternal grandfather, and he was a real Vermonter. He loved his religion. He loved God, but he did not want any preacher, human, person, horse, mule, pig, chicken, or cow telling him how he must believe. And this idea that Grandpa Griffith had rubbed off on his grandson, Bill. And the G in William G. Wilson stands for Griffith. But Bill Wilson did not want anybody telling him how he must believe. And on page 12 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is strongly suggested by Ebby Thatcher. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? And that opens the door to all who are willing to walk through. There should be no barrier. Dare I say there's probably 15 to 20 different religions represented here at our meeting this morning. There are men, there are women, there are whatever they are. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. You have the ability here to choose your own conception of that higher power. Let's continue. Experience has taught us that these matters about which for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. So no one can tell you what God should be or shouldn't be or is or isn't. <clears throat> That's up to you. It's not up to any of us. All right, let's move on. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. In other words, I believe that there is a power and it is greater than me. How do I know that? Remember in Bill's story where it says, I saw, I, I, I felt, I believed. I saw. I felt, I believed. This is the moment that the solution came to our founder, co-founder. I saw what? I saw recovery. I felt, I, I saw, I felt, what did I feel? Hope. What did I believe? That God could and would if he were sought. Now let's review that for a minute. He saw recovery. Now, he had been hospitalized twice before in the town's hospital. He saw people that were not eating, not drinking, excuse me. They were not drinking. Some were alcoholics and some were moderate drinkers and some were heavy drinkers that he saw in that hospital. But they weren't drinking, but they weren't happy about it. They just weren't drinking. Then he got hospitalized again and he saw the same thing. In Ebby Thatcher, what Bill Wilson saw was somebody for the first time in his life, Ebby was sober. And for the first time in Bill's life, he saw somebody that he knew to be an alcoholic that was not drinking and he was happy in his release. That's the biggest difference. I have been abstinent for 23 years. In all earnesty, Earnesty? In all earnestness, there's no such word as earnesty. Where did I get that from? In all earnestness, I do not want to go back to the food. I have no desire to go back to the food. Now, yes, I cried when they took certain foods away from me and they lower my portions. And when I first get on a new food plan and I look at six ounces as opposed to eight, or I look at and I see the new food plan doesn't have this and it doesn't have that. Yeah, there's a, there's a period of adjustment there, but I'm more visually deprived than anything else. I'm visually deprived. I'm not really deprived. So the bottom line is still this. I am released and I am happy because the food for me is a lie. And intellectually, I know that. 
but I know my disease. And that is, I will talk myself into eating it. When I say the food is a lie, this is what I specifically mean. Intellectually, I know that Oreo cookies are not going to taste that good and they're not going to make me happy. Yet my disease will still make me eat them because there is something in those Oreo cookies called sugar. And that sugar will give me a rush. It'll give me what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. What is the effect? It is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating those Oreo cookies. And for about nine seconds, when I'm eating an Oreo cookie, the world is a beautiful, groovy place. I mean, it is a groovy, groovy place just beautiful. But after 10 seconds, 20 seconds, the horror and the nightmare of what I'm doing is upon me. Now, is that realization, that intellectualization going to keep me out of the food? Heck no. Heck no. Were that it were so simple. But Bill saw, he felt, he believed. What did he believe? that this God-based solution that Ebby was telling him about, if it worked for Ebby, it would work for him. This is the moment that the founder, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, the message had been delivered to Bill Wilson. I saw, I felt, I believed. So I'm gonna believe that in, if I work toward that God, that God is going to save me from my addiction. I can live with the addiction or I can die because of the addiction. I can die with it or die or live in spite of it. And I want to live in spite of it instead of dying from it. I have the addiction. I will never not have the addiction. The addiction is permanent progressive and fatal. I have a friend of mine, he lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He says it's permanent, progressive, and fatal because he likes the three Ps. Permanent, progressive, and fatal. And uh, he's he's 100% right. It's permanent, progressive, and fatal. So I can live with the disease or die because of the disease. Let's move on. The power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible, as a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. And the uh, celebrated American statesman that he is talking about is Alfred E. Smith. And Alfred E. Smith was a candidate for president of the United States. He ran against Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 1933. And he, his uh, slogan, if you will, yeah, his slogan was, let's look at the record. And he lost and the rest is history. But he's referring to Albert, not Albert, Alfred E. Smith, not Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine, but Alfred E. Smith. And his famous statement was, let's look at the record. And he used to say that on the radio all the time. Page 50, last paragraph. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, that flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power, capitalized, greater than themselves to take a certain attitude toward that power, capitalized, and to do certain simple things. What are those things? Those things are the steps. Those things are the steps. There has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. Let's stop right there for just a minute. The steps will do more when worked earnestly than just emancipate me from the desire to eat food against my will. I didn't know how codependent I was until I stopped being codependent. I didn't know how much of a slave to other people and emotions I was until I became emancipated. I didn't know some of the things like the self-loathing and the, and the fear that I had of the world and the fear that I had of people until I stopped having them. 
I didn't know how to stand on my own two feet until I stood on my own two feet because I can't get there from where I am. I need a power greater than myself. I need a power greater than myself or none of those things is going to happen because if I could have changed myself just on sheer willpower alone, I would have done it. Now you've all have your stories and your stories are your stories. My story may not be different than yours. It may be, I don't know, but here's my story. When I was five and six years old and seven years old and eight years old and 10 years old and 15 years old, I got a strong signal from the world that I was born into and adults in that world and children in this world gave me a signal. And here's the signal that they gave me. You, Harlan Grabowski, are unacceptable the way you are because you're fat and you eat too much food, fatty, fatty, two by four, can't get through the kitchen door, and you're fat and you're never going to amount to anything. So I developed a defeatist attitude. I developed an attitude of wanting to die more than I wanted to live. I developed an attitude of what's the use? I developed an attitude that said, screw you world, I'm gonna just eat Doritos. And if you don't like it, you can kiss my ever growing butt. And that was the world that I grew up in, but there was something inside of me that I was afraid to get in touch with. I was doing the best I could to lose weight and I failed every time. I wanted to acquiesce to the demands of this world more than anything. I wanted to be the Harlan that they wanted me to be more than anything. I wanted to be a thin person, not a fat person. I wanted to have the kind of willpower, the kind of strength, the kind of character and fortitude and discipline that I heard about all my life. I've told this story before, I'll tell this story again. I've seen many, many times in my life, a father or a mother take one small hamburger and take that hamburger and split it into two hamburgers and give it to siblings. And neither one of those siblings could finish their half of the hamburger. Neither one could finish. I've seen that same parent take a small order of French fries and split it up between two, three siblings and none of the siblings would finish their fries. And I wanted to be like that and I could not be like that. As much as I cried into the night, as much as I would have sold my soul to the devil to become that person, I could not be that person. I didn't want to be a fatso. I didn't want to be a freak. I didn't want to be an object of ridicule. I just wanted the world to accept me and like me. I wanted to hold a girl's hand before I died and I didn't think I ever would. I wanted to kiss a girl before I died besides my mother. And I didn't think that that would ever happen. But one of the things that happened was when I discovered that I could work these steps, I didn't need willingness. I just needed the ability to do things that I didn't want to do. And then the willingness came. And with the willingness came further energy, energy to do more and more and more. And the more of these things I did, the better life got in a lot of areas. And it was worth it. And it continues to be worth it. Let's continue. So in other words, I couldn't get where I wanted to be on my own discipline, my own willpower, my own character. It wasn't enough. My broken brain could not fix my broken brain. It just couldn't do it. Let's continue. Bottom of 50. In the face of collapse and despair, I collapsed and I had despair. In the face of the total failure of their human resources, my human resources had failed utterly. They found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. And I found that to be very, very true. This is a beautiful promise. And I find it coming true in my life all the time. 
This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility, I'm at the top of 51, seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Living for me in the disease, living for me on my own willpower was not worth living. That's not living. That's just existing. I was a shark. I was an eating machine. All I did was live to eat. All I did was get up in the morning and eat more and more and never less or less or less. They show how the change came over them. The change came over me by continually working the steps. And the more I work the steps, the more service that I do, devoid of expectation, devoid of any results, the better my life gets. Because for the last little while here, I have been unable to feel sorry for myself. I have been unable to engage in fear or anger. I'm thinking about what I'm saying. I don't have it written down. I'm thinking about how to make my point. And God tells me what to say, and I say it. And so for the while that we've been here, I have not engaged in one second of self-pity or self-denigration. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God capitalized is today the most important fact in their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. Here's the reason that I want to have faith. Because without faith, my life sucks. I don't know how much time I have. I'm 68 years old. I have no idea how much time I have left. Could be a day, could be five minutes. I'm going to my high school graduation in October, October the 15th. And I graduated with 460 people and 47 of us are dead. How I'm not in the first 10% to die, I don't know. But I'm going to my 50th high school reunion. And yes, I'm glad I'm not dead. It would be a little hard to be here this morning were I dead. And yes, I'm sad that they died. Some I knew, some I didn't know. Some I knew better than some of the other ones. But what's more important than whether I'm dead or alive is that while I'm here, I want to live. That's a new, that's a new thing for me. That's not something that I got as a child wanting to live. I didn't want to live. I was physically and emotionally emasculated by this disease by the time I was 13 and 14 years old. By the time I was 22, my mom died. By the time I was 24, my dad died. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was 335 pounds. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I was 500 pounds. By the time I was a senior in college, I was 600 pounds. I have the same instincts and the same wants and needs and desires as any of you do. You don't think I wanted a girl to fall in love with me and hold my hand and want to be with me and want to kiss me and, 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 and sit with me? I sure did. But I couldn't dare own those feelings because if I owned them, then I would probably have to have killed myself because there was no way to, to reach out for that. Don't you think I wanted to be someone's summer love or, some, you know, you hear all these songs or you see them. Don't you think I wanted to be part of life? I did. But I was at McDonald's getting two chocolate shakes and pouring Coca-Cola in each one to make a float. I was at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was throwing chicken bones out the window of my car as I ate a bucket of chicken on Lakeshore Drive as I was driving, throwing chicken bones out the window. I lied when the truth would have, would have served me better. I didn't wear underwear. I had towels shoved between layers of flab. 
I had the cleanest steering wheel in the state of Illinois because my stomach had several sections to it. And the low section of my stomach would press up against that steering wheel so that every one of my pants, which I had very few pairs, had black mark on it because I'd have to turn the steering wheel and it would leave a mark on my pants. My, my seat in my car was broken because I couldn't fit in the car if it was the normal distance back. I couldn't get in a car. I couldn't get out of a car. I couldn't bend down. I couldn't sit in furniture without breaking it. And I didn't break all furniture all the time, but I broke enough furniture. I broke furniture. I broke a waterbed that belonged to my friend. I broke chairs. I broke two toilets. I have a gash on my ass where the porcelain of the, of the remaining toilet cut a gash in my skin. And I was bleeding on the floor of that toilet like a stuck pig. Children have made fun of me many hundreds of times. Adults have made fun of me hundreds and hundreds of times. I was an object of ridicule. On more than one occasion, people would come up to me and slap my ass or slap my stomach. And they wanted to see the baby hippo that was inside me because they figured I was pregnant with a hippopotamus. I can't get to where I am today from that place on my own willpower, on my own discipline, on my own intellect, on my own thinking. The broken brain that condemned me to that, that same broken brain will not free me of that. It's been a long journey, but I've been carried across years and years and years of celibate, celibate, horrible, guilt-ridden, fear-ridden, pain-ridden years of my life by a loving God. I want to live today. I want the ducks to beat BYU, but I want to live. I want to live because I am not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed the next day. I'm not guaranteed anything. And I want to follow the, the advice that I got from people who walked out of hell. People from concentration camps, people with tattoos on their arms, put there by the Nazis at Auschwitz, Bergen-Belsen, Dachau, they were put in there because of their religion, some as children. And they would say to me in unison, and they didn't even know each other, they would say, live until you die. Now, I believe that live until you die meant that I ate as many Chips Ahoy cookies and as many Oreos and as many Thin Mints from the Girl Scouts as I could eat. To me, that was living. I didn't know anything else. But live until you die today for me means get out of yourself and look at God's world. Look at God's world and live and be part of God's world. I've got a lot of travel coming up and Part of it is weddings, both in Nashville and Chicago. And I've got my reunion and I've got a big book workshop that I hope some of you will come to. It's going to be in uh, Westchester County, New York. It's going to be in White Plains, New York. And somebody smarter than I is going to post something in the chat how to register for this. And then we're going to go to the OA birthday. And I hope most of you or all of you will come to the OA birthday. It's going to be a fabulous celebration. But I'm going to be there because I want to be part of life. I don't want to be on the sidelines anymore. I want to be part of the life that is out there. And I can't get there without God. Let's do another paragraph and then we'll be done for the day. 
This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums which went before. They're coming out with their new uh, phone. One of the big companies is coming out with the new phone. If they said that that phone could diagnose and fix my car and cure diseases, I would believe them because it is astounding to me what these phones can do. It is mind blowing what these phones can do. I have the phone here. If I say into the phone, call Joe, call Fred. I hope it doesn't do it. Do this. What's the square root of this? It tells me or it does it. All I got to do is, is, is pick up the phone and say, calls, whatever. And, and it does it. Unbelievable. My father would say, what a country. What a country. You tell the phone to call somebody and it calls them. My God. I mean, and we believe it because it, there's, it's nothing to us anymore. Our children, our grandchildren, our grandchildren's grandchildren will live in a world where only God knows what they're going to see and do in their lifetimes. It's not even perceivable. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't know how it is where you live, but every Friday that I leave my house, I see cars that have no driver. They're driving down the damn street. And on the side of the car, it says Google Experimental. And on the back, it's got this big, big antenna, three or four round ones. They look like pancakes. That's the compulsive overeater in me. I don't see them as barbell weights. I see them as pancakes. And then on top is a big antenna. And they're, the car is driving down the freaking street stopping at stoplights, making turns, and there's no one in it. There's no one in it. I mean, you talk about freaking out. I'm looking, I'm going, what the hell? There's no one in the car. And it puts the signal on and it makes the turn and it stops at the stoplight and it goes on the green light. What the hell? Are you kidding me? No, there it is. Every Friday, you'll see it right up here on Shea Boulevard, Scottsdale Road, more on Shea than Scottsdale. You'll see it every Friday. They're out there, Google experimental vehicles, and there's no one in the car. I kid you not. Almost everyone knows the reason students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. I guarantee you, we're no smarter than Copernicus. We're no smarter than Galileo. We're no smarter, certainly, than Michelangelo. Yet look at what we could do and they couldn't. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research and invention were almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. Galileo was the first person to believe that the sun stayed still and everything revolved around the sun. Now we take that belief for granted today because that's proven a million times over again. But at the time, it was not the belief. The belief was the earth stood still and everything revolved around the earth. And he said, no, that is not the case. And they excommunicated him. He died in poverty. I think he was jailed. I could be wrong, but I think he was jailed because he would not give up. And how many of us today on the subject of God believe that the earth is flat? How many of us today believe that the earth stays still and everything revolves around the earth? How many of us today can laugh at the flat earth society and yet we're hanging on to images of a power greater than ourselves that do not work for us today have never worked for us and will probably never work for us 
open the window a little bit and let Galileo in. Um, Copernicus was Polish, by the way, while we're on the subject. But anyway, let's let Galileo and Copernicus and Michelangelo and all these guys in. And let's let go of this flat earth theory that many of us have been hanging on to for so long. Now, before I turn it over to Audrey or Maria or Sue or whomever, I don't know, I'm going to remind you of a few things. Number one, the birthday is coming up. Now, the registration is not open, but it's going to be January 13th, 14th, and 15th in Los Angeles, California. You can get your hotel room. You can book your airfare. But if you're getting your hotel room, make sure you're talking to the Los Angeles LAX Hilton because there's other Hiltons in Los Angeles and you'll be disappointed if you book the wrong one. The room rate should be 139 per night, 139 on the OA birthday rate. If they're not giving that to you, don't register. LAX Hilton. Now, December 9th, 10th, and 11th, we're going to be in White Plains, New York. You can register for this workshop I hope in the chat, somebody should hopefully post that in the chat so that we can do that. If I can, I will. Does somebody have that? I hope. Now, we're going to take questions. If you asked a question last week, please do me a favor. Step back and let people who did not ask a question last week come forward. If you did ask a question last week, and at the end 